And as you're seated, I would invite you to turn this morning to Jeremiah chapter 2. We'll be reading verses 1 through 8. And so as you turn to Jeremiah chapter 2, I want you to know that Jeremiah is the longest prophetical book in the Bible, which makes it also one of the longest books in the Bible. And depending on how you count it, whether by chapters or by verses, it's either the second or the third longest in the Bible. So you can imagine there's a lot to look at in Jeremiah. It's very important in Scripture. And our series is not even going to attempt to look at everything uh, because we'd be here for years, uh, which isn't a bad thing, but there are 66 books for a reason in Scripture. And uh, Lord willing, we can always come back later and look at things we passed over. But one of the things that we really do need to look at in this book is what it has to say about repentance. So in chapter 2 through chapter 4, verse 4, Jeremiah will use the Hebrew word for repentance over 15 times. Now, I know uh, that when preachers give those kinds of statistics, right, like he uses this word five times or three times, you're all thinking, is that a lot? I mean, I see you're impressed, or at least pretending to be impressed, but should you be? Should I be? Let me put it in perspective. Uh, If you were to read chapter 2 through chapter 4, verse 4 out loud, it takes about five minutes. So I want you to imagine a five-minute conversation about what you're going to have for dinner. And I want you to imagine if one of the people in that conversation kept using the word steak 15 times in five minutes. I'm willing to bet before you got to the fifth minute, you go, I get it. You want steak, right? Drop it. Uh, But if you wanted to be closer to the kind of conversation that Jesus is actually having with Israel in Jeremiah, you'd want to imagine a five-minute conversation between a husband who is explaining to his wife why he wants a divorce. We're going to talk about that topic in a few weeks, but that's the context. But for right now, I want you to imagine that while the husband is talking with, talking with his wife about how unfaithful she's been and how violent she's been to the neighbors and to the children, and how he's just stunned by how much happiness she seems to find in her unfaithfulness and in her violent behavior. And while he's outlining all of this evil, the husband's saying, repent, 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 repent. 15 times in a five-minute conversation. Right, you can't help but get the point, I think, Jesus is saying, I'm speaking bluntly, strongly, harshly, because we've reached the end of this road. It cannot go any further. And there's only two directions to choose from. On the right, there's repentance, and with it, reconciliation and renewal. And on the left, unrepentance and divorce. And I really want you to choose repentance. Repent. Please. And so this morning, what we're going to do is start reflecting on that repeated call to repentance. And specifically, we're going to think about what it means to repent for faded devotion. It's the word you're going to hear Jesus use, devotion. And we're going to do that by looking at three things from our passage this morning. We're first going to look at what it means to be devoted to the Lord. That's the first thing. Then how that devotion can fade away. That's the second thing. And then finally, what it looks like to repent and return to our devotion to Jesus. So what it means to be devoted to the Lord, 
how that devotion fades and what it means, or maybe some, maybe better to say like what it looks like or what it can look like in our lives to repent and return to devotion in Jesus. Uh, so let's read Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, and then we'll start our reflection this morning. Let's hear now God's word. The word of the Lord came to me, that's Jeremiah, saying, Go and proclaim in the hearing of Israel, thus says the Lord, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness, in a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who hate of it, ate of it incurred guilt. Disaster came upon them, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the clans of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, What wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless? They did not say, Where is the Lord who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness, in the land of deserts and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness, in a land that none passes through, though where no man dwells? And I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and its good things. But when you came in, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. The priest did not say, Where is the Lord? Those who handle the law did not know me. The shepherds transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and went after things that do not profit. Thus far the reading of what can only be God's own word. Let us pray this morning. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its inspiration, its preservation. And Lord, we thank you especially that it is life and it is light. And it is the way that you pour your living waters into our parched and thirsty souls. And so, Father, we pray that your word would be light to us this morning as we follow Jesus. We pray that it would be life to us this morning, and that through it, by your Spirit, you would call us to life in Christ and give us the life of Christ. And we pray that it would be refreshing to our hearts and to our obedience, uh, so that the living waters of Christ might par parch our thirst and make us to uh, be filled with the joy that comes from loving you. Father, may the words of my mouth as your preacher and meditation of all our hearts as those called to hear and respond to your word be pleasing in your sight now. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> uh, so the first thing we're going to look at is what it means to be devoted to the Lord. And we're reflecting on this because of what Jesus has Jeremiah say over and over and over again all throughout Jerusalem. So in verse 2, God says, Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, which since Jerusalem was a city, must mean at least going to all the places where the most people would be. So going to the many gates of the city where people went to buy their food and other things, going to the temple because that was the heart of Israel's religious life, and going to the palace and the neighborhoods surrounding the palace where the people who wanted political power and the people who had political power would gather. And as he went around to all these places, the market centers, the political centers, the religious centers, Jeremiah was to say, over and over again, as we see in verse 2 and 3, I'll read those again. I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who ate of it incurred guilt. 
disaster came upon them, declares the Lord. So in this conversation with his unfaithful people, Jesus begins by asking them to remember how it used to be when they lived together before coming into the land. That's the point of verse 3, right? Which is talking about their life together in the wilderness, where because it wasn't a farmed area, right? It was a land not sown. God fed them with manna from heaven, and he gave them water from rocks, and they lived in dependence on Jesus, and he's remembering how he protected them and kept them safe and how they relied on his protection and looked forward to his protection. And then notice that Jesus calls this time of living in dependence and following him in the wilderness and relying on his protection. This was a time when Israel was devoted to him. It was a time when they loved him in the way a new bride loves her husband. There was a joy and an expectation of a really happy life together. All right, it's a beautiful picture. But if you're familiar at all with Israel's life with God in the wilderness, if you remember some of what we just kind of looked at briefly in Numbers, if you've read Deuteronomy at all or seen Exodus, you might be forgiving, forgiven for asking, when was that time exactly? Because isn't it true that a lot of Israel's life with God in the wilderness was frustrating? Israel made idols at Mount Sinai. She complained all the time. She unjustly accused God of not being a good provider. Uh, she was full of fear and distrust. So what exactly is this bride-like devotion that you're remembering, Jesus? Uh, and I think God's description of his life with Israel here in Jeremiah and what he records for us of their life together in the Torah, or the first five books of the Bible, is actually an invitation to stop and think about what Jesus means by devotion and the love of a bride so we can think about the kind of life that he is calling them back to. I don't think we want to do what a number of commentators do, which is say that this is an idealized description and sort of just move on. Uh, because when you're having a conversation about whether or not you're going to get divorced, idealized conversations, right, imaginary fantasizing about the past would not help Israel to repent because you can't return to something that you never were to begin with. So then what would Jesus' point be if you reflect on these, these two things together? Well, I think the first thing that we can say is to think about that word devotion. The Hebrew word there is actually a very important word. It's a very big word in the Bible. It's hesed if you happen to be familiar with it. And though it usually gets translated very well as love or faithfulness, I actually think devotion is an excellent translation for this word because the word for devotion unites the idea of love and faithfulness together, right? To be devoted to someone is to show them love faithfully over time for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health till death do us part, right? And also, devotion connects with this really important idea of service. Because when you think of devotion, I think you think of service. So when we call someone a devoted husband, or a devoted wife, or a devoted father, or mother, or friend, what we mean is, they make the sacrifices necessary 
to show love consistently. They serve the people they are devoted to. Which is why devotion also has this idea of being willing to struggle, to fight, to work, to keep the relationship going, to struggle to make the sacrifices necessary, to serve those whom you have promised and desired to love throughout time. And I think in that light, then, we get a really helpful and encouraging picture of what a life devoted to Jesus looks like in a fallen world. Jesus is not remembering some past time when their relationship was all roses and chocolates and goo-goo eyes and super easy, oh, isn't this fun and nothing's bad ever, right? The honeymoon phase. What Jesus is remembering is that even after Israel failed, she returned. Like we thought about last week, she struggled and fought to put her doubt and her fear and her desire for idols to death so that she could follow Jesus with all of her heart. She struggled to show devotion. And she responded to her failure to show devotion by picking up the struggle anew and following Jesus again. And I find that really encouraging. Because until I started reflecting on this passage, I sort of thought of devotion sort of just instinctively as this perfect love that never failed. And uh, obviously, that is what it means for God to be devoted to us. Praise him for that. But I knew that this side of glory, I, I could never love that way. But thanks to what God says here in Jeremiah, I now see that Jesus takes into account the fallenness of my own heart in such a way that he can say that both my struggle to not sin, my acts of actual obedience, and my struggle to return to him from sin, all of that is devotion, is love, is showing faithfulness through time. And I think in that light, then, Jesus' use of the bride's love for her husband is a powerful one, because when you first get married, as we hope a couple people are going to do here soon, right? When you first get married, there's a short period of, yay, we're married. But then there's the adjustment period where you actually have to start, you know, living together and expressing the oneness that you now have in your marriage. And while that transition will always be made easier. Here's some free marriage counseling advice. Uh, that transition will always be made easier by mutual humility and sacrifice and forgiveness and repentance and choosing thankfulness over bitterness in Jesus' name, right? Devotion. Nonetheless, that transition phrase will still be hard because to go through it, you still have to be devoted and devotion is always a struggle, the side of glory, because you have to make sacrifices. You have to work. You have to die to self. You have to confess sin. You have to forgive when sinned against. You have to work at pouring your life, and especially the life of Jesus, into the person you're married with. And it's that work 
that Israel was learning to do and wanted to do, and though did it in fits and starts, still did in the wilderness, right? Not perfectly, but she was doing it. So now, before moving on to our second point, I have a question. It's one I've wrestled with the last few weeks. Is that kind of struggle of faith, that work of love and devotion, something that Jesus has now from you? Or is it something he just remembers from you? Is that kind of devotion something that Jesus has now from us here at Grace, in our lives together, and in our communities, and in our workplaces? Or is it something he just remembers from us? Unless you think this is just some Old Testament thing, go to Revelation, read chapter, what is it, 3, 4, 2. Chapter 2 of Revelation, when Jesus says, I remember back when you were paying attention to me, but now you're not. Repent, or I have to remove the lampstand. Right? We talked about that when we preached the Revelation a few years ago. It's the same idea. This is something that is worth our reflection and worth our prayers. I'm not saying yes. I'm not saying no. I don't think it's actually my position as an individual to make that call. But I think as individuals and as a congregation, it's always good to think, are we being faithful to Jesus in devotion? Is it tangible? Is it real? Is it noticeable? Is it alive? Okay. So with that perspective on devotion... I want to move on quickly to our second point, which is how our devotion fades away. So this is the second word that Jesus has Jeremiah say, starting in verse 5. I'm going to read it for you. What wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless? They did not say, where is the Lord who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness and a land of deserts and pits? in a land of drought and deep darkness, in a land that none passes through where no man dwells. So we're going to focus on verse 6. They did not say, where is the Lord who brought us up from the land of Egypt? And, you know, on he goes. So there Jesus is saying that Israel's fathers and mothers, their parents, and as we see in verse 8, right, their priests and their shepherds who would be their, their political leaders, their kings and princes, and their prophets, they all stopped asking, where is the Lord? Now that question, where is the Lord, has sort of two dimensions. And the first involves what we might call their corporate worship. So if you notice in verse 6, God tells them that they did not say, where is the Lord, who brought us up from the land of Egypt and led us in the wilderness and all the rest. And this is a clear reference to Jesus' frequent command in Exodus and Deuteronomy and Leviticus and numbers to tell the story of how Jesus saved them and now walks with them and what their life is meant to be like because of his presence in their lives. And they were supposed to do this at all sorts of corporate worship events, the Festival of Tents, the Festival of Harvest, the many festivals of harvest, most famously the, the Passover festival, most of which, especially Passover, begins with the question, why are we doing this? Where is the Lord, right? That's the point of what's going on. And what you'll see in Jeremiah, and also in 2 Kings, which overlaps Jeremiah's ministry, 2 Chronicles as well, is that while these festivals were still happening, they had become disconnected from Jesus. 
And so to help you reflect on why that is such a problem, I want you to do another imagination thing with me this morning. I want to imagine it's your birthday. And I want you to imagine that all these people came and all your favorite people came, but no one said happy birthday to you. No one brought you pre I heard someone go, oh, yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. No one brings you presents. No one talks to you. No one pays attention to you except to ask you where the cake is and where the bathroom is. Right? They're supposedly there to celebrate your birthday. And it should really be a celebration of them getting to live with you for another year. Right? Isn't that what birthdays are about? It's celebrating another year of you being alive so that we can have a relationship together. But if the people you invited don't seem to care about you, what does that do to your relationship with them? Well, it would hurt it, right? It might even end it because they clearly came for the party. They didn't come for the person. Jesus intentionally builds into our corporate worship weekly, monthly, yearly ways to help us celebrate our life with him, our relationship with him and together through him. To celebrate how that life begins through his death and his resurrection and continues through his forgiveness and transforming power that is present in our lives by the Holy Spirit and how it will never end because Jesus indwells us by his spirit. And of course, the result of that celebration is that our relationship with Jesus and with each other is supposed to be strengthened and is supposed to grow and, and deepen. But now imagine, or maybe acknowledge, uh, that when you come to worship, you don't pay attention to Jesus. When Jesus greets you, you're on Facebook. When Jesus calls you to confess your sins, you're thinking how annoying it is that Jesus wants to be in every part of your life. When Jesus tells you his assurance of pardon, you're daydreaming about what you're going to do after church is over. During the prayer, you're checking your email. And during the sermon, you're having a text versation with somebody who's, you know, slept in or doesn't go to church. Yeah, text versation. That's what all the hip kids say these days. Oh, so clearly, you're not in worship then for the person of Jesus. And now imagine your kids are next to you watching you not worship. Their fathers did not say, where is the Lord? That's what Jesus is saying. So one dimension of their faded devotion is that they are not relating to Jesus intentionally in worship. We can say they kept the parties, but they ignored the person the party was for. Which brings us to the second dimension of their fate of devotion, which was a failure then to be devoted to Jesus in their daily life. And that's verses 7, to eight, seven through 8. I brought you, verse 7, I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and its good things. But when you came in, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. The priest did not say, where is the Lord? Those who handle the law did not know me. The shepherds transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and went after things that do not profit. So when Jesus says that they made the land an abomination, he means that they made the place 
that was supposed to be filled tangibly, experientially, marvelously with peace and righteousness and forgiveness and goodness was a place that was filled with death and sin and bitterness and all kinds of evil. And then they used Jesus' name to bless it. This is okay, we're God's people. And God tells us that they did this because people stopped asking, where is the Lord? Or to put it in a form that we might more easily recognize, they stopped asking, is Jesus okay with this? Is this what Jesus wants? Does Jesus want us to live this way? Is this what devotion looks like? And as we'll see more clearly in later chapters in Jeremiah, Israel stopped, they, they did not ask this question because they stopped opening themselves even to the possibility that Jesus might not like their political leanings or their relationship practices or how they spend or did not spend their money or how they might actually need to make some real changes in their life. And by the way, that danger is just as real for us today as it was for them back then. So to bring these two areas of faded devotion together, worship, devotion, faded devotion and worship, faded devotion in life, I think it's actually very helpful to think about an old saying from church history, which is the way you worship is the way you live. Lex arendi, lex credendi. The way you worship is the way you, I know it's a little bit of a, you know, Loose translation, but I guess the point. The way you worship is the way you live. So if you spend your time not paying attention to Jesus in worship, you will not spend your time paying attention to Jesus in your workplace, in your family life, at your store with the kids. And there is an inevitable consequence of that cascading failure. Because Jesus is love, and he is justice, and he is goodness, and he is mercy, and he is compassion, and he is righteousness. To say those things is simply to describe the way Jesus acts and lives in the world. So if you are not following Jesus, if you're not paying attention to him and trying to walk in his steps, then your life will not be characterized by love or justice or goodness or mercy or compassion or righteousness. It will not. And the result in your life and in our life together will be that though we are called by Jesus' name, though we bear it in our baptism, and though we claim to be the place where Jesus' kingdom is experienced, we will become an abomination, a twisted place, where instead of harvesting peace, we will harvest violence. And instead of being a place where people taste forgiveness, they will taste bitterness and all kinds of evil. And all of it will be done under the umbrella of Jesus' name. The way you live with Jesus in worship shapes the way you live with him in life and shapes the kind of culture and community and fellowship that we have together. It's all of a piece. It's all an organic whole. Which brings us then to our final point, which is what it can look like or what it means to return to devotion to Jesus. And uh, so what I hope is clear by now is that if we have disconnected our worship 
or our life from Jesus, repentance looks like returning to devotion. It looks like returning to Jesus and struggling to take up our cross again and follow him in his name. Returning to the struggle and the sacrifice and service that looks like love faithfully expressed over time in hill, right, the easy time, and valley, the hard time. And uh, I wanted to be helpful here, and uh, we're going to look at Jeremiah much more, uh, this area of Jeremiah much more fully as time goes on, but the way that Israel got here was not by a sudden event, but by the way she sort of slowly stopped connecting her life to Jesus. And so I, because I wanted to be helpful here, uh, I wanted to be concrete about three areas of devotion where we can find ourselves slowly disconnecting from Jesus that we need to maybe repent from. These are just three common areas that I think most, if not all, Christians experience in their life at some point. So first, let's talk about being devoted to Jesus in worship. And let's specifically talk about what to do when you find worship boring. Worship is never boring. No, this advice is coming out of my own experience because I go through periods of time where I'm super bored by worship. And it was the worst during the stay-at-home order when I had to listen to my... That was terrible. I, again, I'm sorry for what you have to go through every Sunday. It's rough. Uh, I get bored. I'm bored at listening to the pastor drone on and on. Right? I find that I'm listening to my mind tell me all of its interesting thoughts rather than listening to Jesus. I'm listening to the world tell me all the exciting things that I could be doing instead of sitting here worshiping with Jesus. So what do I do when I get bored? Well, here, here's what I do. I, I realize that I'm not looking at worship. I've stopped looking at worship as an opportunity to hear Jesus talk to me as an opportunity for me to talk to him. So here's what I do. When I do the greeting, I practice saying to myself, listen to Jesus greet you. Jesus is saying hello. When I read the passage for our confession of sin or for our assurance to pardon, I'll say to myself, listen to Jesus expose you. And seeing your ugliness, which you hate in yourself, forgive you and welcome you. And when I pray, and that way when I pray or I sing, my response isn't something I'm doing because I have to. I'm not just going through the motions. I'm actually, it's part of my conversation that I'm having with the God who is welcoming me and doing things to me in worship. I'm paying attention to who the party's for. So if you're experienced boredom, kids, adults, Try and be intentional about saying Jesus is talking. Jesus is speaking. Jesus is doing things. Here's another area where we can need to repent for devotion in. Uh, sometimes we get tired of the work of devotion. We're going to talk about this in much more depth next Sunday. So just like having a friendship or a marriage, uh, you can get tired of the work that needs to go into having a healthy relationship. You can get tired of working to repent and to sacrifice and to forgive and to do all those sorts of things. And one of the responses that we can have when we get tired is that we keep it to ourselves. We won't tell Jesus, we won't tell other people, or we won't say I'm tired, we won't say I'm frustrated. And then from there, because we're keeping it in, we grow bitter 
and we can passive aggressively stop serving or we can blow up and try to force the relationship to end so that we don't have to do it anymore. Free ourselves from the bonds of devotion. You see both of those responses in Jeremiah. You've probably seen both of them in your own life. I know I have in my life in human relationships. So a better response, a more emotionally and spiritually mature response is to communicate, talk. And when we're thinking about our relationship with Jesus, pray. And to encourage you, think about the fact that Jesus calls Israel's life with him in the wilderness a life of devotion. And what was a major part of that devoted life? Complaining. I'm tired. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I'm scared. I don't trust you. And while the way they went around complaining was not good, we've talked about that, the fact remains that they still talked with Jesus about their fears and frustrations because they wanted the relationship to continue. Like you talk to people because you want to continue living with them, right? And so, when is, and so what it means then is that when you're tired and overburdened, the solution is to go to Jesus in prayer. And you don't have to go to him perfectly. Go to him in the rawness of your emotions. Because as God says in Jeremiah, what fault did they find in me? When Israel complained, God always gave them what they needed to continue and grow their relationship with him. He was always faithful. Okay, so finally, the last one, we can need to return to our devotion in the face of hopelessness. So one thing that can happen is that we can realize that we've passed on our habit of coming to the party but ignoring the person to our children, to our friends, to our neighbors. And now we don't know how to help undo that. And we can feel stuck and helpless. And uh, next week you're going to hear Israel tell God, it's hopeless. We've loved foreign idols. And so we just have to keep going after them. It's an expression of hopelessness. There's no chance of undo. You can't unring the bell, so why try? Just continue on. So, here's what you do instead of saying that. And I'm thinking here particularly of parents and kids, but you can change this in your own life to whatever relationship is necessary. You go to the people that you've passed this on to, and you invite them to return to devotion to Jesus with you. And you begin with repentance. You say, how mom and dad acted in church was not right. How mommy and daddy lived was not right. We weren't living for Jesus. We weren't devoted to him. We weren't paying attention. And we taught you those bad ways of life. We are sorry. Forgive us. And please join us as we try and live for Jesus. You will be surprised how far that will go. And it will go far because remember this whole conversation is about Jesus calling us back to a life of devotion. Not a life of perfection, right? But a life of lived faith, striving to be as devoted to Jesus as he is to us through repentance and confession and forgiveness and growing in righteousness. 
And it's also about Jesus' desire to forgive and restore those who repent to him, right? Repent, 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 15 times in five minutes. And since as we thought about last week, Jesus is watching over his word to perform it. We can trust with our whole heart that he will be faithful to build our relationship back up with him. Jesus honors the repentance of his people because he delights in our devotion and he will respond to that request, to our repentance, to our devotion by pouring the resurrection life of Jesus into our lives so that we will actually grow again and be renewed and strengthened in our devotion to Jesus. So, uh, let's repent to him. Amen? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that uh, when you look at our lives, that for you, uh, devotion is not perfection, but is found in the work of seeking to be uh, faithful over time and to return and to sacrifice and to um, pursue the joys of living with you and with your people. And uh, Father, we confess uh, this morning that we have not always been faithful, that our devotion has faded at times and that it needs to be restored and renewed. And so, Father, we pray that you would do this for us. We pray that you would teach us to hear you more clearly in the worship service so that we might respond to you. Lord, we pray that where we have um, passed on bad habits of not living for you, not worshiping you in church, um, that you would enable us to repent of those whom we have affected, that you would enable us to invite them to join us back on our journey uh, to a renewed, uh, devoted life with you, and that you would, uh, in front of us, uh, bless that repentance and that call to ever-growing and increasing life with them and with you. Father, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you always respond to the repentance of your people uh, with faithfulness and forgiveness and the renewal through the resurrection of Jesus. And please help us to live now lives that are more filled with devotion to you through Christ our Lord. In whose name we pray. Amen.